0: This is the Alternative Investing Advantage podcast from Advanta IRA, where we show you how to explore investments beyond Wall Street and open your eyes to new options for your portfolio. It's time to take control and give yourself the freedom to choose where you invest your money.
1: Hi, this is Alex Perny with the Alternative Investing Advantage podcast. Today, we are pleased to welcome on Neil Paulson to talk about some interesting stuff with tax audits. It's tax season and uh, we're definitely in the full swing of things, so make sure you stick around for that. Today on the download, Wall Street has seen some really interesting activity with regards to the largest short in financial segment history. We are seeing investors move to a $3.7 billion short position on TD Bank, the uh, large retail trader based out of Toronto, Canada that was just recently acquired by Charles Schwab. So it'll be interesting to see how this short position pans out. This is an order of magnitude larger than some of the other ones that we've seen in recent years against people like T. Rowe Price and others, uh, including Blackstone and a few other large uh, investment firms on Wall Street. So seeing such a large short position in an already faltering financial market is going to definitely be interesting to watch. So keep an eye out on that. OPEC has announced their annual production cuts this week amid the concerns on languishing oil prices and the world economy. However, in an unusual move, they have moved the goalposts a little bit, and they are going to start the production cuts starting in May. So it's going to give investors and retailers... And consumers, a little bit of time to adjust to that. So it won't be kind of the immediate shock that we normally see from OPEC when they meet, but it'll definitely still be something to keep an eye on with that. And lastly, global real estate market prices have risen for the second straight month with particular strength being seen in the Toronto, Canada markets and US markets. So some good news with regard to real estate investors that Prices, Even though that we are seeing a whole bunch of other issues and things such as inflation, monetary policy tightening with increasing interest rates, uh, banking crises with uh, retail bankings going under, we're still seeing a relatively robust uh, real estate market still still be out there for investors. So keep an eye on that. Uh, Definitely some good news to uh, look forward to with uh, coming real estate, (coughs) real estate prices for all of you out there that are investing in real estate. This has been The download. Today on the What Is? What is OPEC? OPEC, or the Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries, is the organ- <clears throat> refers to the group of thirteen of the world's major oil exporting nations. OPEC was founded in 1960 to coordinate petroleum policies of its members and to provide member states with technical and economic aid. OPEC is a cartel that aims to manage the supply of oil in an effort to set the price of oil on the world market in order to avoid fluctuations that might affect the economies of both producing and purchasing countries. Countries that belong to OPEC include Iran, Iraq, Kuwait, Saudi Arabia, and Venezuela, the five founders, plus Algeria, Angola, Congo, Equatorial Guinea, Gabon, Libya, Nigeria, and the United Arab Emirates. This is OPEC, and this has been The What Is. All right. Well, today we are pleased to welcome on Neil Paulson, a seasoned investor uh, that has been investing in the uh, Florida Southeast region for many, many years and also a unfortunately seasoned veteran of IRS tax audits, which especially around this time of year is uh, something that people need to be aware of as far as tax filing and how to navigate that whole system, but especially if you are unfortunate enough to get audited. Uh, we have someone here that has gone through it several times and has some, uh, what I can only say are comical things that have happened uh, with regard to the IRS afterwards. Uh, but again, thank you very much for being on with us today, Neil. Maybe give us a little bit of background before we start digging into the topic at hand today. Uh, how'd you get to be where you're at? And um, and we'll go from there.
0: Well, thank you, Alex. Um, I I have to, first of all, give thanks to people who have helped me along the way because um, All that I am today is through the help of other people, including my parents, some of my teachers. Uh, I was able to go back to law school with help of the uh, Veterans Educational Assistance Program. So I've gotten a lot of education and I just hope that I can use it well. Um, You were mentioning IRS tax audits. I've had three of them in my lifetime but, uh, if I can help other people with some experience or some guidance, that's what I'm here for today.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So let's kind of start from the from the beginning of, uh, you know you know, audits, yeah, uh, you know, thankfully, we, we live in a country where, uh, you know, even though audits are a, a big issue, we are in still in one of the lowest audit rate countries in the developed world. So we do at least have that much to look forward to, but it doesn't make it any easier when you do get audited. So let's walk it through the process, um, because there is a lot of fraud out there as well. Um, you know, just keep in mind, people, the IRS does not call you um, and tell you this stuff. You get letters in the mail about this. Um, exactly.
0: Other- and it, it's not just a letter, it's a package, a package. So you know that you have been selected and they do have a welcome letter which is what i call it but i have to tell the honest to god truth that this is a in in my case at least it's been a lie because they state in the letter that i have you have been randomly selected and random is not true and then the purpose is to gather statistical data and that's false also because The reason they do this is because either somebody turned you in or you have been had a presence in the newspaper or media and they deem that you're somebody they they want to go after either politically, uh, like in my case, or somebody has turned you in and created some story Mm -hmm. and they have selected you. Uh, Actually, their publication 556, page two to three, is much more accurate. They say, in addition, your return may be selected as a result of information received from other sources on potential noncompliance with the tax laws or inaccurate filing. This information can come from a number of sources, including newspapers, comma, public records, and individuals, and as we know, they wouldn't be doing this unless they thought they could recover more money from from the individual, and that's the real purpose, not to gather statistical data. That's BS, and we all know that.
1: So when it comes to initially receiving this letter, like you said, it's it's not a letter, it's a packet. Um, so what are some of the kind of things that initially they are you know, stating in this? You know, you've seen a few of them. Are they relatively similar? Or what can someone kind of expect if they, uh, you know, see this, you know, come in their mail? You know, as unfortunate as it is, what can some people kind of expect if they see this?
0: Well, uh, the first thing you want to do when you get something like this is to poop in your pants. And I'm just saying that... Uh, you know, trying to be funny, but you see a package like this from the IRS and it's like, it's not going to be good news. I mean, that's the real truth. And secondly, you're preparing yourself for the stress of dealing with these people like a monkey on your back for several months. And they know exactly what they're doing or they're supposed to. So it's not, it's not a welcome letter. It's more, you know, get ready for the emotional stress that you're gonna bear and all the time that you're gonna spend on this. And, uh, you know, like like they said in the army, put your head between your knees and kiss your butt goodbye because it's not a good letter to receive. And, and I did get audited in the 1980s. And back then, I think it was 1982, it was for a rental property. Uh, But I can't recall the letter I received back then. And then I also had a a company I was involved with that got audited in 2015. Uh, So I I can't remember the package I got at that time, but this audit was just last year. So it's more fresh in my memory.
1: So when it comes to initially getting this, you know, they're going to tell you, you know, do they tell you what they feel the discrepancies are or what kind of information is included in that?
0: No, they don't tell you what they're, what has triggered the audit, uh, nor do they tell you all that they're going to rake you through. Now, in my particular case, the recent audit was called a taxpayer compliance audit, which is supposedly more thorough than the other audit I received in 1982. In that case, my, my return was much simpler because the regulations were much simpler. And I pretty much knew uh, who it was that had turned me in. And why? Because I had made a flip remark to a woman that I was involved in a relationship with. And that's that happens to be the source of a lot of these uh, audits, is that you will say something to somebody you're in a relationship with, you, you don't really mean it, maybe you're bragging or maybe you're trying to get attention. And once the relationship goes south and it's over, that person is trying to get revenge for another reason. And the only leverage they can pull at this point is probably, well, let me contact the IRS and turn that person in. So I don't know if I answered your question correctly, but. Uh,
1: <clears throat> but more, more to the point, so, so you get the package and then, you know, so they, they're not necessarily telling you what they're looking for. So what do you do at that point? Is it, a, is it a call that you need to put into the IRS? I mean, obviously, if you have a CPA, you're calling your CPA and letting them know. Yes. Um, but like, what's the next step? And, and how do you kind of it, go through the discovery process with them?
0: Yeah, it, it's basically in the, in the welcome letter. They say, we want you to call us. At this time, to schedule an office visit at your office, and of course, that's something you don't want because if they come to your office person to person, you've got files in your office from different things. You might have stacks of things that you that they really have no business seeing, and or and you don't want them to. Um, meet with you face to face either for several reasons. But the main reason is because this is gonna be an emotionally, emotional disturbing event, uh, mainly because it's common, it's human nature to react when we get interrogated or when we, you know, even if they make a smile or a grin at you, it's very easy to take it the wrong way and, react. So so what I always do is, what I always do, well, the the last couple audits is I get my CPA involved. And and the first person I contact is my CPA. Uh, And fortunately, I've had the same CPA for the past 20 years and have a, a very good relationship with him. not perfect, but uh, because he stressed out quite a bit as well from this process. And uh, so the first thing I did was I sent the paperwork to uh, Dennis, my CPA. And, uh, you know, he's straight as an arrow. His wife happens to work for the IRS, by the way. (laughs) So she, she can keep him in line if he needs it. But Dennis has been my CPA for 20 years, and that was the first step was to scan the package and and email it to Dennis and then let him poop in his pants. Because originally he had told me, yeah, well, let's just do this. And then when I asked him, how many times have you had a client go through a taxpayer compliance audit? He said, never. So I think he was more nervous about this than I was.
1: Okay, so now they've they've requested that you kind of reach out to them, you send everything else to your CPA. Uh, now, from that point, I'm assuming your CPA is the one that contacts them on your behalf?
0: Well, that's the strategy that you want to employ. And, and a part of this first letter, they will send you a statute of limitations request, requesting that you sign it, a release of the statute of limitations. And of course, if, if you have half a brain, you will not sign it. But this is all in this, this feel-good letter where they lie to you. And I say that honestly, you know, this is a total lie. You're not selected randomly. And secondly, the purpose is not to grab gather statistical data from you. They expect that there's a source of money that you have not reported. So. When they send you this nice letter, and then uh, they they go ahead and send you the a pleasant request that you not only sign the bottom of the page and send it back, but that you sign page two, which is a release of the statute of limitations, you have you have to be careful because a lot of people will just sign it inadvertently. And if you sign that, your audit can go on forever. Normally the IRS has three years to audit you from the time that the date that you filed the return, unless there's fraud or criminal activities. So you don't wanna give them forever to be on your back. And and that's one strategy that I think everybody should be aware of. You don't have to sign this release of the statute of limitations. You should not sign it. And if you sign it, this audit can go on for years until they contact other people, until they locate your other business returns, get all your 1099s. So the statute of limitations is basically limiting the amount of the, the length of time that they can continue to bother you. And you don't, you the three year period is in your favor. You certainly don't want to sign the release of that statute of limitations. um,
1: Okay, great. So so essentially, I mean, one thing I'm kind of gleaning from that is making sure that uh, you read or you have someone read through it that can thoroughly understand the stuff, so you understand what you're signing. Uh, The last thing you want to do is, yeah, inadvertently sign something for the IRS.
0: I also contacted one of the attorneys that I have worked with And his answer was, well, I have a CPA that works under me. If you want to hire her, then it would all be confidential because you would have attorney client privilege through me, the attorney, which would flow down to the CPA, which is another strategy. If you at all have any fear or reasonable suspicion that you may have done something wrong, which could be a crime, or it could be construed as fraud, then you need to hire an attorney first and get, the, get a CPA hired underneath the umbrella of your attorney so that you do have attorney-client privilege. And in my particular case, I had no reason to hire this attorney other than He's uh, supposed to be, you know, well-qualified, but the cost of hiring him is just ridiculous. So, uh, and I have a good relationship with my CPA and I have for 20 years, and I had no reason in in the faintest uh, to believe that I had done anything illegal, uh, criminal, or fraudulent. So based upon that understanding, that I've always done the right thing with the IRS and my taxes, uh, I decided to just go back and hire uh, my CPA and ask him to get involved because you do have that right to have somebody else as your intermediary. And I would definitely say, you don't want to talk to the IRS auditors yourself, You don't want them coming into your office. You want to be unavailable, okay? Now, I don't care if it's visiting your sick grandmother in Telemazoo, uh, Michigan, but you're definitely unavailable for this first meeting if you understand what I'm saying. Uh, So that's why the CPA or whoever filed your taxes should be the first one to reach out and schedule this meeting with the irs auditor it's not and again it's it's not going to be at your office because you're not available you see what i'm saying
1: sure so what kind of things are gleaned in this meeting with the irs what are they kind of telling you when you first sit down in front of them
0: okay well like i said first of all you shouldn't be sitting down with them you should have your cpa make the first phone call and say, well, Mr. Paulson has health issues, which I do have, or Mr. Paulson is unfortunately gonna be visiting his mother who's 93 years old and in a care center in Minnesota. And unfortunately he will be unavailable. But Mr. Paulson has allowed me to, you know, I has, There's a form that the CPA uh, or you can get that authorizes that person to interact on your behalf. And that needs to be signed. And then the CPA will make the phone call on the particular date that they have scheduled for this uh, scheduling conference on your behalf. And in, in this particular case, it worked out well because the CPA made the phone call and the auditor who was in South Florida responded, well, let's just do this by correspondence then. You see what I'm saying? Instead of having to drive up to your office in Orlando, we will do this by correspondence. And I will tell you, we'll discuss what we need to complete this thorough audit. And then you can fax it in, which is what you really, how you want to turn this. You don't want to have face-to-face contact with the auditor, like I said, because it's going to be disturbing, it's going to, uh, you're going to react in certain ways, and you don't need to stress.
1: Sure, absolutely. So again, what kind of, like, what what do you learn in that first meeting? Again, understanding that your CPA or representative is standing there, uh, what information is gathered um, in that meeting with the IRS?
0: well before the meeting you will have some contact with your cpa or your the person that does your taxes and they will probably say just like i said uh, you know oh poop or something they'll, but they'll use stronger language and then they'll they'll come up with some defense mechanisms and they'll they'll email you <laughs> a standard form that they have Gotten from the internet that says uh, in preparation for your audit, we need all this stuff, all these documents. Okay, this is just to cover their butt and professionally. So I received about a this is even before the conversation with the IRS auditor, I received about a four or five-page laundry list of things my CPA wanted from, from me in preparation for this phone call. Not only had he done the the, uh, the uh, return back in 2019, but he want, this is just to cover his butt professionally. He wants to make sure, darn sure, that I'm not holding back anything uh, professionally for his uh, liability uh, reasons. So that's the first step I got from Dennis, my CPA. And of course I went through everything like I said, it's not only a a hassle with the IRS auditor, but your CPA has to protect themselves. So that was the first step I got before Dennis made the phone call. And uh, then the next step that we got was the IRS wanted, uh, they, they came up with their own laundry list of four or five pages. And and it, it's just general things, but it covers everything from A through Z that you could think of. And they just want to be thorough. And of course, the auditor wants to be thorough too and make sure that she has, this was a woman auditor. They want to make sure that the auditor has covered everything. So then you get a, the, after the first phone call, you get a, a request that's four or five pages long from the auditor. So that's the first step. They'll send you this request for everything you could think of from cryptocurrency, which I don't involve myself with, to charitable deductions, anything you could think of that could be relevant uh, to, uh, to, to your tax return.
1: Okay, great. So they're essentially indicating all this information uh, that they want and need. So now going forward, you know, you've kind of, again, had the discovery with the IRS. Where does it go from there?
0: Well, you fortunately have some conversations with your CPA and it's, it's largely his opportunity as well to decompress emotionally and to give you some feedback on how things are going with the audit. And I received several emails and phone calls from Dennis, my CPA. Uh, And by the way, I can only say good things about him. If anybody needs a good CPA, they could get in touch with me. But uh, I received several comments indicating that he was frustrated, that the auditor didn't know what the heck she was doing. Uh, after the first phone call, he, he said, I had a quick and abbreviated phone call with the auditor to go over a few issues that she has, some of which are because she doesn't have a clue how things work in business, businesses. So that was his his first phone call that she doesn't know what the heck she's doing. And of course, he's a CPA and she's not. When I was audited in 1982, I had the opportunity to, at that time, just do a face-to-face, come down to our meeting, or come down to our office in Gainesville, Florida. And at that time, I was, of course, interrogated, but I also interrogated the auditor. And I said, what is your background? Do you have a college degree? And she said, yes. And I said, what is your degree? And she said, art history. And then the second question, I said, well, I'm guessing you probably had some training in uh, taxes. What type of training have you had? And she said she had the IRS two-week course uh, in preparation for being an auditor. So after two weeks of probably intensive training, they send these people out to audit. And it's, it's questionable what they know whether you have somebody who's sharp or not. And I think the auditor in 1982 was impressed with me because I was in law school at the time and I had a copy of the IRS regulations, which I had put tabs on all of the stuff because I had had tax law in law school. And I brought that with me to the first meeting. And I think she was impressed and possibly intimidated. So these auditors, they are sent out to audit you with sometimes very little experience, sometimes very little training. And, and the CPA will have to try to educate the auditor, which, which is a good thing, I mean, but then they can, they can prolong these audits while they're trying to figure things out and going back to their supervisor with their questions so uh, another comment my cpa made was this is going to be a pain in the butt well that was his his emotional response and again this is 50 percent of the problem is emotional dealing with the fear that you don't know what you did wrong if anything and you don't know what they're going to discover and i had a conversation with dennis Uh, early on, where I told him I thought we had made a mistake. And uh, his response is, do not tell me if you think we have made a mistake. Because the auditor will probably ask me what, if if there's anything that is is an error that she didn't ask about. This is one of their trick questions at at the end of the auditor. Now is there any, at the end of the audit, now is there anything else that we forgot about that we need to correct on this return? Because the CPAs are, are licensed agents of the government. They have that obligation to do everything correctly or they could lose their license. So that's the other thing Dennis told me early on if you see things that you think may need to be corrected, do not tell me about them. And I think that was good advice. And um, the, the question I had was about something that I thought we could have uh, deducted more interest on. And his, his answer was, you know, don't go down there. Uh, don't go down there. And we would have to revise years and years of re, uh, returns if if that was something we were gonna we were forced to look at. And, sure. Uh, so I got good advice from him. You know. So
1: moving moving through this a little bit, um, what was kind of let's kind of because uh, there are some other stuff I want to talk to you about. Let's kind of uh, maybe sure. condense the the back half of this. So um, you know the kind of the key takeaway points on the front of this are one. You know, understand that not everything the IRS sends you you have to sign. Have someone that's familiar with your taxes, if um, you know, or you know, hire a competent professional to stand as an intermediary for you, so you don't make an inadvertent or emotional mistake. Um, So you know, they've they've gotten this discovery, uh, for lack of a better term, I know. Discovery may not necessarily be the correct legal term in this sense.
0: That's a good word. It's not in a lawsuit, so legally, but they're trying to see if there's something you omitted on the return. That's why they're questioning you. And then if you fail to give them all the information, that can be criminal because you're, you know, so anyway, go ahead, please.
1: So what was, so kind of, again, to kind of bring this full circle, what ended up happening? um, You know, what was, what were some of the contested points uh, in this taxpayer, taxpayer compliance audit? And then how did it end up for you?
0: Well, in my particular case, and I think this has relevance to the listeners, who are interested in renovating houses and flipping things, uh, flipping the houses. I had uh, sold a couple of properties in 2019. And when I went back to look for all my receipts, of course, I could not find all of them. Either I had not gathered them uh, at the time, or I had not had the best of record keeping that I would have liked to have now when I'm being audited. So um, I had certain deductions that I had taken for for renovating a house that uh, I didn't have receipts for. Now, how are you going to get that stuff three years later? The answer is you're going to have a hard time getting that stuff three years later. You need to get the receipts and invoices from your subcontractors contemporaneously or at at the same time when you pay them, especially if you pay them cash. Now there's a lot of people that work in certain neighborhoods, we call them the hood or the war zone that don't pay taxes themselves and they will only get paid in cash. We all know that, they work under the table. And, and this is a challenge because you cannot find anybody else to work in that neighborhood. So you get somebody who may be evading taxes themselves to do work for you. Like I had a guy remove a tree. I couldn't get anybody else to go into that neighborhood. It's called the Paramore neighborhood. And I, I don't even go there after dark. It's, it's a bad neighborhood. And I, I, he wanted $6,000 to remove a large tree and, to, and he wanted to be paid in cash. And, uh, but he would not give me a receipt. And then of course he went out of business, he had had a stroke and three years later, when I'm audited, I, I needed to get some records of this uh, to prove to the auditor. And uh, of course his grandson had taken over the business and didn't want to give any, give me anything. I went to his house and he didn't live there anymore. And uh, the only way I could get documentation was the handyman that I had worked with three years ago was still uh, at the same address. And he wrote a letter of acknowledgement that I had paid the tree guy. And also that I had paid him in cash each week for 12 weeks. And I had a few receipts for this guy but that was like $18,000 that I had failed to properly get receipts or records for at the time. Now, if you think it's it's uh, tough to get receipts or, or something at, at the moment when you're having them doing the work and paying some of these people, you can imagine what it's like trying to get some records three years later. And of course, if you tell the, the subcontractor you need it because you're being audited by the IRS, you know darn well they're they're gonna be spooked away from you. They're gonna hang up on, on you because they don't wanna be audited either. So I was able to get some receipts by, by saying that my partner needed records. And of course the IRS is our silent partner. So I wasn't really fibbing, but that's the trouble. If you don't have receipts for everything, the IRS, they start out by asking for all of your bank statements and everything that goes into a bank account, they presume to be income unless you can prove otherwise. So that's why you have to keep all kinds of records for every nickel and dime that you paid somebody for a deduction. And I'm, I'm you know, I have firsthand knowledge that that's how it works. So whatever you put in, you deposit into your bank account, they they say, well, that's income. And uh, I had a hard time getting all my uh, documentation for checks I had written as well, because one of the accounts I had was up in the state of Delaware, where they have strict banking laws. And for asset protection, I had opened an account up there. I don't know if some financial people are recommending Delaware, but uh, you know, there's good and bad about having accounts out of state. They can be difficult to work with. And then it, then after going back and forth, we had trouble with the auditor wanting records from 19 years ago. And the, the situation was that I had built the duplex that I'm in now. And I was deducting, I built it in 2006 And I was depreciating the building. Half of it is a rental property and half I live in. But I I had a depreciation that I was using. And I had also had some capital losses from 2002. I I think some of you remember the Y2K crash where uh, a lot of internet stocks lost their value. And I sold some of them at a loss and you can deduct up to $3,000 each year as a capital loss carryover. She wanted to know the stocks and bond prices from when I bought them. Totally beyond three years. But this is what the auditor demanded. And my CPA had records of the um, some of these items, and he volunteered to go on the Internet to try and get values from these stocks 20 years ago Uh, and when he did that the auditor backed off but uh, this is the kind of harassment if that's the good word for it you can get when they decide that they're going to go over everything on your return in a taxpayer compliance audit do you want me to talk about how they they again wanted me to sign the statute of Release of the statute limitations.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Let's. Uh, I think we can kind of probably, uh, you know, keep this podcast. You know, we're, we're running up on towards uh, you know the last maybe oh. uh, twenty minutes of this, um, and I'd hate to do a disservice to the other part of uh, uh, sure. investing that we talked about. Maybe we'll have you on for another one just to talk about uh, subprime mortgages. Um, but I think it's really good content. I want to make sure we get through all of it in the in the hour we have for this. But um, sure. yeah, so go into that a little bit if you would.
0: Well then then i got my the auditor called my cpa and i don't know if this is true or not i don't i don't recall there being a hurricane in south florida at that time but the auditor told my cpa that their miami office had to suspend work on all the audits for 90 days because of a hurricane in south florida okay my knowledge that was false. And then she again requested my waiver of the statute of limitations, which would give her additional time to complete this audit. And my CPA was apparently seduced by her niceness and thought that they had almost finished the audit anyway, and it would be reasonable. And I told the audit, I told my CPA, listen, there's no way in heck I'm gonna sign the waiver. And of course I said it in harsher words and he told her in kinder words uh, because this was not gonna go on forever. I mean, I, this had been about six months of digging through files, you know, on different property that I had sold during that year and calling people, going to their houses to try and get receipts. I was not going to subject myself to this any longer. So I put my foot down. I, I told my CPA, I'm not going to waive the statute of limitations. And then that was it. I We didn't hear from the auditor. We thought that she was going to come back with some more demands or who knows what. but. Uh, the statute of limitations from when we filed it in 2020 still had some time but apparently the auditor decided that she had done enough work investigating me or interrogating me and i got a letter in the mail from the auditor two weeks later uh, a closing letter uh, which my CPA and I were surprised, but I was pleasantly surprised that it was over. Uh, And I was not totally in agreement with some of the IRS changes. There were two smaller things that I agree. We had made an error on an honest mistake. Uh, One was on a depreciation where we should only have depreciated half of it. It was a duplex that I lived in and, uh, you know, that was an error, probably a miscommunication between my CPA and myself back in 2019. Uh, and then there was another item that she contested. Uh, and uh, I, at that point, the total bill the IRS wanted was $770. But she had added on penalties and interest and the interest I don't mind. But the penalties she added on were false and ridiculous. One was for filing a tax return with errors. She wanted a couple hundred dollars for that. You know. And, and I don't know what the other penalties were for, I can't recall, but it was just disturbing. And uh, I could have appealed it. You have an option within, what was it? 60 days or 30 days to appeal. But the appeals go to the 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 auditor's supervisor, who number one is biased against you, and is gonna has probably already had a conference with this auditor, and there's very little hope of success in my mind as far as trying an appeal. And the amount of money was was small anyway. I think it was eleven hundred dollars or something, including these penalties. So. Um, and I would have had to waive the statute limitations again for the appeal. And if they if they wanted to, they could probably kick it back down for some more uh, auditing. I don't know. So I grudgingly signed the form, wrote out the check. While I was holding my nose, I felt that was a good personal protest because the whole process stunk from the beginning. Lie that this is just for statistical purposes. As well as the fact that this is just random, because uh, I know darn well, I was audited because I had been politically active that year. And uh, but I'm not going to talk about that. Sure. So anyway, the final bill was, the final issue was paying my CPA. And he had done an awful lot of work on on this, not as much as I had done. But, uh, and I had asked him at least three or four times, how much is this going to cost me? Because CPAs can charge a couple hundred dollars an hour. uh, And and I expected it would be well over $10,000 easily. Uh, And he never would tell me. So that was another source of uneasiness. Sure, if I pay the IRS, you know, $1,100 to get them off my back, now I've got my CPA on my back. How much is he going to charge me? And uh, I, I had never received any invoices. I thought he was going to charge me hourly a couple hundred an hour. And then about a month later, after this all closed, I received his bill for four thousand dollars. But at the bottom line, the bottom line, he put professional discount. Uh, $1,700, which I thought was most kind and generous. Uh, But then I've received additional contact from the IRS that I conclude is only harassment. I don't know if I had told you about that, Alex, but I've received um, a check back for probably $10. I think it was, they recalculated the interest I paid too much and that that was uh, confusing. And then then they wanted me to participate in a survey about the audit process. Like, I've just been beaten up by a bully. And now the bully wants to question me, well, you did you enjoy it when I beat you up? (laughs) And and this was a, a very sad moment when I received this survey in the mail. And Again, they said this survey is only for statistical purposes. I don't know if I shared this. Did I share this with you, Alex?
1: Yeah, you you sent it over to me, and I and I thought it was comical as well. I think your analogy of uh, you know a bully beating you up on the playground and then you know sending you a survey asking uh, you know how how did the punching go was uh, was again
0: comical at best. Um, you just hit mute on yourself. Uh, still with the uh, so there you go. You're unmuted. Did we get lost here, Alex?
1: No, it just it hit mute on your end. Um, okay,
0: I had somebody call me for some <laughs> more. No,
1: it's okay. But I was just basically I was agreeing with you on the fact that it's it is comical. It's you know getting beat up on the playground and your bully saying, oh well, you know how was my how was my right hook? Was it was it satisfactory?
0: Yeah, here's a survey. And this is again, only for statistical purposes, but they had a barcode at the top with some small numbers on it. So I'm sure they could trace it back to me. And then they had a comment section for any comments you'd like to make. And you have to be careful. Number one, I, I did not respond to this survey because anything you say can and will be used against you. I mean if I had said how I really felt and how I'd like to do damage to the auditor that would be considered uh, you know assault on a government official and that would be a crime so I don't know if they're baiting me for something like this or or not they're pro- they could I'm sure it would be used against me so I, I shared that with my accountant and I did not answer it well, then I've received three other letters from this supposedly independent survey company, uh, you know, signed by a PhD reminding me to please, and, and this is not obligatory, it was voluntary. And I'm just not even opening those letters. They, they keep want, pestering me to fill out the survey. And I, I am darn well not gonna give them the survey It's rude, it's stupid, and I'm not an idiot, okay? So I'm not going to respond to their survey because what I would say if I gave them my true feelings would probably get me in hot water.
1: Sure. So to kind of bring it in for a landing um, with all of this, what would you say would be some salient facts to leave people with of, you know, obviously, you know, thinking of why you got audited, uh, you know, is, you know, is, is a best, well-educated guess. But again, anecdotal, probably, Um, you know, there's, there's no real way to know the the true thing. They're not going to tell you. I, I
0: can tell you, I can tell you it's, it's public knowledge. I ran for mayor of Orlando in 2015 as a conservative candidate who wanted to lower taxes. Uh, the Orlando Sentinel published a lot of innuendo, uh, just like they attacked Donald Trump and other Republicans in our area. And the IRS picked up on that. That's to a 99% probability. Well, so the, then...
1: The, real quick, just uh, just to kind of make sure the the fact is out there the the point I was trying to get to is um you know in general um you know people it's you know hard to tell why you know a lot of people maybe not necessarily your specific instance get audited but what would maybe be some tips that you could give people um you know one you know maybe
0: don't discuss your finances with anybody sure. a friend you know be don't say anything in in Flip or just don't make any remarks about a deduction. Number two, you want to keep records of everything to a dollar in in the expectation that you might might get audited. And uh, number three, you want to have a good CPA who will file your returns and be available to act as an intermediary if you do get selected. And then number four, there's nothing you can do if you are selected, so you just have to go through the process and uh, and don't sign a waiver of your statute of limitations. Right, that this will only go on for three years, and then at the end, you know, just grin and bear it. There's nothing else you can do about it. So, is that good advice? Yeah. Good it- records. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think I think that's a good uh, a good statement to make about taxes in general. Whether whether it's an auditor paying them in general, is you just have to grin and bear it. Uh, there's yep. things you could do to to plan and protect yourself, but at the end of the day, taxes. Uh, you know, it's what the the two things that are unavoidable in life are death yep, and taxes. And, taxes.
0: <laughs> and you can do something about each of them. You know, you, you know, you can. Uh, well, that's we're not here to talk about death, <laughs> but you can try and live a healthy life and and postpone your death and have a meaningful life. That's the goal. And, you know, plan for your retirement. We all, that's part of what uh, ADVANTA does. And your taxes, you can get a good CPA that'll, that'll file them and be your intermediary and keep good records. Everybody says that, but until you're, you're audited like me, uh, you know, you're you're gonna really appreciate if you did keep good records, sure. and uh, that's the real answer. And then, if you owe some money, uh, just bear it because the U.S. government has their name on all the currency; they own it, and we are only temporary trustees of that money during our lifetime. You know, all that we have basically is a gift from God sure we have enhanced it with some of our labor some of our intellect and our experience but we're going to be dead at some point so let's do the best we can in this lifetime let's try to comply with all the tax laws and let's uh, enjoy you know the best revenge is living well and enjoying our life and making uh, life good for our children our grandchildren people that we love and care about. And that's the goal of life in general. So this is only a minor, uh, minor speed bump on the road of life. And life in general is wonderful. So uh, just to close, uh, you know, I'm very fortunate. I've been blessed by people that have enhanced my life along the way. And uh, the government overall, I think they have good intentions. But something like this is something we can try to avoid and we can do the best we can by uh, working with a good professional, tax professional and following all the rules. Is that the best answer, Alex? Mm -hmm.
1: That's, that's a, I think that's a great part to leave off on this, you know, a good, a good sentiment to uh, kind of uh, capstone the, uh, or bookend, I should say, the the relatively unfortunate topic of tax audits. So with that said, Neil, again, I really appreciate your time. That's another valuable commodity that everyone only gets a finite amount of. And the problem is we don't know how much of it we have. So thank you very much for being with us today. I really do appreciate it. Thanks everyone for joining with us on this edition of the Alternative Investing Advantage podcast. Tune in next week for more investing tips and strategies.
0: Want to hear more episodes of the Alternative Investing Advantage? Search podcast at advantaira.com and subscribe.